Thank you, Doug. We appreciate that this morning. Good lead-in to the instruction from the Word of God this morning. If you're with us this morning and you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the New Testament book of Titus. I am preaching through the book of Titus, this little New Testament book. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we do have Bibles, or should have, in the chairs in front of you that you are welcome to use. If you're visiting with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, uh, you are welcome to take that with you. It is our gift to you. If you're watching by live stream this morning, you should be able to follow along with uh, the scripture passages that will be on the screen for you. Last week, we looked at the biblical qualifications for an elder, for a church elder, and the important role that elders play in a church, especially in protecting the church from false teaching. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells Titus, to whom this letter is written, that that's why I left you in Crete to put things in order in the churches there in every town, and to appoint biblically qualified elders excuse me in every one of those towns and so that brings us to the passage why was titus left in crete why was he to appoint elders in all of the towns in all of the churches there and here's why Verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1. For there, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the, from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, our first point this morning is the power of the human tongue. The human tongue can potentially be a devastating force for evil, especially in the mouths of false teachers who can be a severe danger to God's people. This is something that doesn't need a lot of commentary. We all know the danger of the power of our mouths, the danger of the power of our words. Gossip, lies, slander. So many people are hurt by the words of others. Entire nations have been swayed in speeches by evil dictators who persuade them toward things that are evil. The entire course of history can be changed 
by words. We think of those famous words from the book of James, verses, or chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. James chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. It really says it so well. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow. Our tongues can potentially stain our whole body, set on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell itself. Left unchecked, the tongue brings forth the evil of our sinful and depraved hearts and minds and can cause immeasurable damage. And one of Titus' responsibilities in overseeing the churches in Crete was to prepare them to counteract the false teaching and immoral living of certain leaders there. So Paul charges Titus and through him the churches, not simply to correct their false doctrine and denounce their immoral behavior, but to silence them, to silence them and remove such spiritual cancers from the churches. Again, I just want this to be embedded in our minds. Verse 5, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Titus has a challenging task. Many moral and theological problems had to be addressed in Crete. In verse 10, and what I want to do is I want to work through verses 10 through 14 with you, but then make some what I hope to be Important observations just about false teaching and false teachers. In verse 10, Paul says to Titus, and remember, Paul spent a lot of time in that area teaching and instructing, but has now turned it over to Titus. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And I want you to notice the word many. It wasn't just a small group. There were many who were spreading this false teaching. Many who are insubordinate. They refuse to submit to godly authority. They refuse to submit to any authority. They are empty talkers. We have a phrase in our modern English language that is the equivalent of this, and it is called smooth talkers. They were smooth talkers. They could be very convincing, and I think this is important, they could be very intimidating. They were deceivers. They were intentionally and knowingly teaching things that were contrary to the word of God, contrary to the gospel that Paul had taught. Now, it says here, and again, this is very important, it says, especially those of the circumcision party. These, 
apparently were the leaders of these false teachers. The circumcision party, as I mentioned to you last week, were also known as the Judaizers. These were people who hounded and followed the apostles wherever they went in their teaching. They taught that believing in Jesus for salvation was not enough, that the death and resurrection of Christ was not sufficient for salvation, but that you also had to be circumcised. The males had to be circumcised in order to be saved, in order to be a child of God. That's why they were called the circumcision party. They also taught that you had to continue to keep the law of Moses as a provision of salvation. They also taught that you had to keep the human traditions of the rabbis who were teaching at that time. And so apparently they were very influential in this area. Now notice what Paul says, verse 11, they must be silenced. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Paul says, Titus, you've got to put a stop to this. They're very influential. They are upsetting whole families. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But whole families are being wound up by this, put in a tizzy by this, by what they are teaching. Then it says in verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, this is actually a quote from an ancient philosopher. So, in every commentary I read, they have clearly identified who this philosopher was. He's called a prophet, but not, it does not mean he was a biblical prophet. It simply means he was a prophet of, quote-unquote, truth. He was actually a very well-respected philosopher in ancient Greek, considered one of the seven best philosophers of ancient Greece, and his name was Epimenides. Epimenides was a Cretan himself, and his evaluation of his own people was, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, obviously not a very flattering uh, description But the Cretans struggled with immorality. They gave in to their sensual desires, gratified their desires. This was a characteristic of their people. Now, it does not mean that every single Cretan was this way, but it does mean that this was a general description. In fact, if someone were to say to you that you've been Cretanized, it meant that you've been lied to. Do you realize you've been cretinized? Do you realize that you've been lied to? So here is Epimenides' general description, but what I find fascinating is verse 13, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, this testimony is true. This testimony is true. Therefore, Rebuke them sharply. This is a people that leans in that direction already. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. 
so that they may learn sound doctrine, so that they may be taught the word of God accurately, not, verse 14, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, excuse me, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now again, notice how this applies to the circumcision party to the Judaizers. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. False teaching has been a problem for God's people throughout history. It was true in the Old Testament. It is true in the New Testament. All kinds of warnings about false teaching. I go over this from time to time. In fact, we actually have it in our elders' job description, the verses we include um, to remind our elders of their responsibilities is all these warnings to protect the flock, protect the flock, protect the flock. Let me give you just one example. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Again, there are at least a dozen different references I could have used here. Peter says, and Peter is writing to the elect exiles, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, to Christians who are scattered around in various churches, and he says to them, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter is saying, be warned, be warned. Now I want to make some observations based on verses 10 through 14. And that is this. False teaching always tends to have three characteristics. Okay, false teaching always tends to have three characteristics. Number one, it will always add works righteousness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will always add works righteousness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? The gospel is is that we are saved by faith alone and the death and resurrection of Christ plus nothing. Plus nothing. False teaching will always add something to that. The Judaizers, the circumcision party, were saying, yes, you do need to believe in Jesus, but... You also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law of Moses. You also need to follow follow the rabbinical teachings of these godly rabbis who are teaching. All of that is part of your salvation. All of that is part of your salvation. And even today, they want to add things. You have to believe in their particular church their particular church's teaching. Yes, believe in Jesus. Yes, that's a good thing. 
But you not only have to believe in Jesus, you also have to be baptized. Or you can't be saved. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. You not only have to believe in Jesus, but we have a church handbook. And we've got guidelines, rules. And you also have to keep those rules in order to be saved. It could be anything. You also have to pray so many times a day. You also have to read so many sections of scripture. This is all part of your salvation. Rituals to keep. Ceremonies to perform. That's a big characteristic of false teaching. The second characteristic of false teaching. And I really want you to notice this one. They're always good things. The things they add from a human perspective are always good things. Okay? They're not going to get up and tell you to do some evil thing. They know you wouldn't believe that. They're all good things. Read your Bible. You have to go out and give to the poor. You have to, as I said, follow our church handbook. Do certain ceremonies. Complete certain rituals. And they're all good things. I mean, they don't harm you. They're just, you have to be here at church so many times a year as part of your salvation. I mean, you have to believe and earn. Faith plus works. That's a big characteristic of false teaching. Third major characteristic of false teaching. And that is this, and I want you to listen closely to this one. They're always going to tell you there is something missing in your Christian life. There's some key that you're missing, and they've got it. They've got it. Okay, there is just some key in your Christian life that you're missing, and if you will simply follow their teachings, it will fill that key. It will fill that void. And I think this is especially attractive even to believers because all of us, let's be honest this morning, every day we do battle with sin, don't we? We do battle with sin every day. Every single one of us who know Christ as Savior are engaged in intense, intense spiritual warfare. And sometimes in our hearts we think, I wonder if I'm missing something. You ever wonder that? I wonder if there's something I'm missing. I wonder if there's something that I just haven't gotten yet. And let me tell you, false teachers pray upon that. Yes, there is. And we've got it. Folks, I want you to know there is nothing you need besides Christ. You have it all in him. Learning to live that all, live that out every single day is a lifelong process, but don't think you need anything more because you have it all. You have it all in him. There's another observation I want to make, kind of separate from that. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture. This is why studying Scripture in depth brings out things that we just might not see. Verse 11. Says they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. I want you to notice they were upsetting whole 
families. Did some fascinating reading on that on that this past week. The main way that false teaching spreads is from home to home and family to family. Not exclusively, there are some exceptions to that. But the and I just want us to know that the main way that false teaching spreads is from home to home and family to family. You see, a false teacher is probably not going to stand up in a group like this and promote his false teaching because he knows there are going to be discerning believers who are going to stand up and say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not right. That's not biblical. But if he can get you in your house, and here's what they do. They'll say, you know, can we come over to your home on Friday night? Can we come over on, for supper on Saturday night? Want to bring one of these uh, circumcision party guys? Man, he is a really good teacher. I'd like you to hear what he has to say. Do you know cults are experts at this? Have you ever thought about how cults spread their messages door to door, family to family, house to house? They know what they're doing. And see, if they can get in with you, if they can get in with you, they know they can intimidate you. And remember, they're smooth talkers. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, I, I don't know. Sounds really good. I'm not sure. Folks, we need to be so careful. So careful with those kinds of things. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Be very careful. Be very careful. Every Christian must be intensely alert to any teaching that contradicts the clear instructions of the Word of God. Many times over the years, I have had some of you come to me, and you will say, I have been listening to this television preacher. And he or she is saying things, I, I just don't know. I, I, I just don't see it in the Bible. It's not what I've been taught in my Christian faith. I just don't know. And it just doesn't seem right to me. And I say, I am so proud of you. As your pastor, I'm just so proud of you. Let me tell you, folks, when that red flag goes up, when something doesn't seem right, Follow through on it. And the place you need to go is the Word of God. Go to the Bible. Be a Berean. Check it out for yourself. And if you still have questions, come to an elder. If they're a biblically qualified elder like we talked about last week, they'll be able to instruct you correctly and help you to understand what is wrong with what you've heard on television or somewhere else. Folks, we've got to be careful. It could be a co-worker who starts to tell you things. It could be an extended family member who's saying, hey, have you heard about this? Have you ever thought about this? You know, this has been kind of hidden for years, but now it's come to light. And some key people are bringing this to light. Folks, we've got to be careful. Really interesting. 
verse 14, excuse me, verse 15, verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Fascinating. It says to the pure, all things are pure. And what it means is this. If you are genuinely regenerated, genuinely born again, immersed in the word of God, you will gravitate toward that which is pure and good in the sight of God. You will. I love that phrase, to the pure all things are pure, but, but, to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Folks, let me put it very simply. There are some bad people out there. There are some bad people out there that want to deceive you. They are. They've got deception in their heart. They want a guise of religious faith. But what they do is wrong. It is detestable. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. It's 2 Timothy, it's not on the screen, but 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness, they deny its power. It's Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, teaching about false teachers. He said, you shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. Well, what I want to do is not only kind of bring this all together this morning, but also just the last three weeks together. And I want to ask this question. How does a church protect itself from false teaching and false teachers? Let me just try to work through this. Three things I want to bring up related to this. Number one, how do we protect ourselves from false teaching and false teachers? Number one, we systematically preach and teach the word of God and uphold its complete authority. Man, we teach the word of God, we teach the word of God, we preach it from the pulpit, and we teach it at all grade levels, right down to the smallest of our children. And we teach, folks, right from the word of God. Right from the word of God. We must believe, we must affirm, and we must remind ourselves over and over again that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God completely authoritative and completely sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. We must remind ourselves, we must believe that with all of our hearts. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he defend himself? I know you know this, but let's be reminded again. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and that is the same way we defend ourselves. It is. Folks, I want to say to you this morning that there is nothing more important that this church does than to preach and teach the Word of God. Nothing more important than preaching and teaching the Word of God. 
You may say, hey, well, what about evangelism and missions? Aren't they important? Yes, they are extremely important. But do you realize this morning, if we don't preach and teach the word of God, there is no evangelism, there is no missions. They have no message. They have no message to take to the lost. We have no message to take to the nations unless we believe with our, all of our hearts every part of the word of God and preach and teach it faithfully and diligently. You may say, but isn't important that we care for the poor and the needy, that we <clears throat> excuse me, minister to hurting families, That is absolutely important. It is something we should be doing all the time. But do you realize if we are not preaching and teaching the word of God, we can only help a person physically. We can do nothing for them spiritually. If we don't preach preach and teach the word of God, we might just give our money to government agencies and let them help the poor and needy. Because we have nothing more to offer than they do. Did you ever think about this? Our nation right now is going through such a turbulent time. So many contentious issues. Issues of gender identity. Issues of the definition of marriage. Issues about abortion. Folks, it's in the news every day. Every single day. And I was just sharing this with our elders and deacons a couple of weeks ago. Do you realize... If we, have, if we don't have the word of God, we have nothing to offer to that debate, those debates. Nothing. If there is no moral absolute, if there is no God-given authority, we don't have any answers for those issues. But by the grace of God, we have the answers. Because they're from God. They're by his design and not from us. And we must stand for them and defend them and protect them. So the first thing we must do is systematically preach and teach the word of God and uphold its complete authority. Second, we must obey and live out the word of God in our private lives and our church lives. Nothing destroys the testimony of the church like disobedient believers. Nothing does. We'll just be hypocrites. We have to live what we say we believe. If the word of God is that important, then we better be doing everything we can to help one another in grace and humility and kindness and graciousness to live out the teachings of the word of God, to be obedient to our master. A couple of verses. A few months ago, we were looking at few months back, John chapter 13, John 13, 35. You know this well, but I share it with you again. Jesus is with his disciples, washing their feet. And he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The world needs to see us buttressing what we believe by the way we live. Here is my favorite verse on this subject. It's not on the screen, but you might want to just jot it down. 2 Peter 2.15, 2 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God, 
that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's it. That's it. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So secondly, we obey and live out the word of God in our private lives and our church lives. Number three, number three, we diligently and vigilantly confront false teaching and false teachers. We do. If it happens to infiltrate our church, we must put a stop to it. In the first part of verse 11, Paul says they must be silenced. In the second part of verse 13, it says, Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. He doesn't mince words. If there is false teaching, those false teachers must be confronted. That false teaching must be confronted. And I want to say this. Yes, the elders lead the way, as we saw last week, in protecting the flock. But it really is a responsibility that belongs to all of us. To all of us. The church needs to rise up again and again in every generation and say, we believe in the word of God. We believe in every part of the word of God. And we believe the gospel. The gospel is salvation by faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus plus nothing, plus nothing. Let the church arise and defend the word of God and defend the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, give us the courage. Give us your courage to confront and silence any form of false teaching that would threaten the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us the passion to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to believe in its life-changing, life-transforming power. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.